Welcome to the Friday press conference ahead of this weekend's season opening Australian Grand Prix. Joining us today from left to right, we have Christian Horner, Mattia Bonotto, Toto Wolff and Cyril Abitable. The world of Formula One is still reeling from the news that FIA race director Charlie Whiting passed away in the early hours of Thursday morning. Some of the drivers gave us their thoughts yesterday and I'd like to get your memories of Charlie as well, starting with you Toto. It's a, it was a total, total shock when we, when we received the news yesterday because uh, uh, you see somebody every day and, and the day before and, um, and then he's gone and, and reminds us what is important in life and we are all going at, a tr at an incredible pace from race to race and, and, um, and then it can get you like this. But, but Charlie was an unbelievable person. If you are in that position over so many years and then years and years and you still don't make a lot of enemies, that shows your, your character and he was always well balanced. Uh, you could seek him for, for guidance. He would almo always, when, when it was diffi di difficult within the regulations um, to really get down to the bottom and interpret certain things, he would give you, give you a common sense answer that you could work with. And he was just a reference point that, that will be dearly missed and I almost, uh, it's a, there's a huge hole at the moment that, that needs to be filled, but for us, um, the person, Charlie, that strolls in in the morning for coffee and, and, and was just a decent man and I'm really sorry for his family and, and in these terrible times. Thank you. Mattia. From my side, I can only join the words of, of Toto. Uh, Charlie, Charlie was an incredible person, very great. It's a huge loss for the entire sport and a huge loss for F1. Uh, I think we should uh, thank him for the entire contribution he did to the safety in F1. Uh, I think it's something we remember. Um, but certainly he was such a great person, as Toto said. It's quite incredible from one day to the other. And again, I think it's how precious is the life. Um, but all great memories, fantastic guy. Thank you. Christian? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a huge shock for everybody. Um, you know, obviously been working with him for, for 20 years now, and uh, to get the, the news yesterday, first of all, is disbelief. Um, Charlie was, was one of the good guys. You know, he was a racer. Um, that was his background. Um, you, when you speak, spoke to him about his days at Brabham working for Bernie, you know, there was always a smile on his face. He knew all the tricks in the book. And that made him the ideal guy to become poacher turned gamekeeper when he took on the role with the FIA. And, uh, and he handled that role. I mean, a, a tremendously difficult role um, with uh, great uh, balance uh, and, and diplomacy um, in some incredibly difficult situations. And he was one of those guys that went under the radar, but you know, what he contributed to this sport was enormous, you know, from a safety point of view, um, from, from what the sport is, is today. And I think there's a huge debt of gratitude owed to, to Charlie for you know, what Formula One is today, the safety, the lives that, that his action actually saved, you know, the way that these cars you know, are now and the safety record that they now have. So it's a huge loss to Formula One, a tragic, Lost for his family and for his friends, for his, uh, you know, for his young children as well, and uh, all our thoughts and, and 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 wishes are with, you know, with his families and friends at this this, this very difficult time. Thank you, and Cyril. 
Well, the difficult to have. Obviously, it's uh, it's clearly a, a shock. Uh, it's um, I think the paddock went um, silent yesterday when when the news started to uh, to spread. Um, it's a strange thing to to learn such a thing uh, at that moment and into the environment of the paddock, uh, where unfortunately or fortunately the the show needs to uh, to go on. Um, it was um, it's just amazing what he has been able to experience the 20 years of evolution of Formula One. Just remember what Formula One was 20 years ago, and yet he's been capable of uh, staying on the top of all the tricks, loopholes, ideas, constructive uh, interpretation of the regulation with uh, a balanced ju judgment and integrity, and being capable of, uh, frankly, avoiding uh, while well, making sure that all the ship will stay in, in Formula One, uh, despite uh, all the risk associated to uh, interpretation of, uh, of, of regulation and showing that. Uh, you can conciliate uh, being quiet and balanced and authority, and no one will challenge his authority. Um, it's a huge loss, but uh, indeed the, the show must go on. Thank you. Well, Cyril, if I could stay with you now, just uh, a couple more questions. We've had winter testing. We've just had the first free practice session of 2019. Just give us a progress report on Renault, and in particular, how Daniel Ricciardo's bedding in. Well, there's been the winter, there's been the pre-season testing, and there is FP1. So first, I'd like to remove FP1 from the answer because it was a bit of a, a scrappy session with some uh, reprogramming of uh, the tags that uh, took away some, some precious track time as we had to, to test a number of items. So uh, obviously, a lap time does not really representative. But anyway, there will, won't be any lying or, uh, or explanation on Saturday. So let's, let's wait uh, Saturday and, and, and Sunday. Progress report is, uh, you know, we know that we have a, a huge, uh, a huge gap uh, ahead with, uh, in our attempt to reach the top three, which obviously has to, uh, to be the midterm target in 2021 fight for wins. Uh, we, are, we are in that journey. So much has to be has, has been done already. So so much needs to be done, uh, and uh, good progress. Good progress in particular on, on engine side, and as uh, Enstone is still uh, completing his uh, his transformation and. Uh, is striving to, um, to to build a chassis that can build win some race in the, in, the, in the years to come. Daniel, fantastic uh, addition to the team. I mean, um, in summary, he's uh, inside what he looks from outside, and is uh, making a already a, a fantastic contribution to the team. Thank you, Cyril. Christian, coming to you. Same question to you, really. How how's progress with the the Red Bull Racing Honda package? Yeah, we've had a, a promising winter. It's been, uh, you know, interesting working with uh, with Honda. It's been uh, uh, extremely collaborative. Um, you know, obviously performance is difficult to read through pre-season testing, but uh, you know, reliability has been been strong. And um, yeah, I think we we turn up here in Melbourne, you know, hopeful of a competitive season ahead of us. So, uh, but it's only really. When uh, you know everybody pulls their pants down tomorrow in qualifying, that you see, you know where where we're at. And a few words on Pierre Gasly. Yeah, Pierre is another product of the Red Bull Junior program, as uh, you know, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz. He's another exciting young product that we've invested in. Uh, you know, as a junior driver, um, and uh, you know he's he's in the seat because of the the, the promise uh, that that he's shown and uh, obviously he's settling in he's going to need a little bit of time to get up to uh, get up to speed but uh, he's a very quick racing driver and you know we have high expectations of him in the future thank you christian mattia coming on to you you were the pace setters in winter testing how confident are you coming to this first race not confident at all i think that uh, winter testing is uh, 
not qualifying, it's not racing environment. Uh, you never know how the others are running. I think it's, the, uh, as we said, very difficult to assess the performance. I think we are simply focused on ourselves. We got our own programs there. Eight days intense, uh, very little time then to prepare for Melbourne. Uh, by the time that you finish the testing, all the material is shipped directly to Melbourne. So I think it's really by, by here that we start understanding uh, who is the fastest or not. Um, I think that our competition, our challenges are very strong. Uh, these guys on my left uh, have won the last championships, and I think they are still somehow the, the team to, to beat. And uh, so uh, honestly, I think that on our side, really focus on ourselves, st ourselves step by step, try to improve and try to be as fast as we can. And Mattia, can you tell us a little bit about your new role? You've been promoted to team principal over the winter. Mm. How much time do you dedicate to technical matters now? I think of the technical matter is still probably the highest priority. Uh, the car needs to be fast and the rest will follow somehow. Um, so obviously it's still my, my main focus. Um, it's still, let me say anyway, it's the main focus of a team. I think the technical is, is where you've got your main of your activities uh, and main where, where you're putting your effort. So it's true that there are few, some, few more things to be, to be done and to deal with, but uh, technical is still the main priority. Thank you, Matti. Toto, coming on to you. It was pretty difficult to read Mercedes' program, really, in winter testing. What's your summary? Yeah, also difficult to read for us. Um, we, we hit the road, um, and it wasn't great. Then we brought a, a substantial upgrade package to the second test and slowly but surely started to understand and learn and put the dots together. And at the end, it was, it was a quite decent um, end of testing. But uh, like Matthias says, it's, uh, there is the teams were lap time-wise very close together, but uh, very few kilograms of fuel can make you look very good or less good, and, and that's why um, pens down on Saturday. <laughs> uh, this is the first, the first real uh, um, uh, benchmarking this year. Well, Lewis was in very confident mood when he was in the press conference yesterday, fastest in FP1 as well. What about Valtteri? What sort of form do you see in him? Um, Valtteri had a decent, um, decent uh, first session today. Uh, we tried a few things on his car, and um, and the, the the absolute lap time would have been quicker if he would have pushed for a quicker lap time. He came back very strong from the winter, did some rallying, rediscovered the joy of driving. Yeah. I heard that yesterday he said he got drunk a few times to forget. Um, so it's a good start. Um, and I expect Valtteri to be the strongest this year, the strongest Valtteri Bottas that we've seen. Thank you, Toto. Let's open this up to the floor now, and please remember to give your name and publication. First question, please. John McAvoy, Daily Mail, Toto. Um, Lewis um, does various things, has uh, various uh, uh, distractions, as some call them, or uh, hobbies um, that he's involved in skydiving and things like that. Does that put the wind up you? Do you have any rules and regulations? Do you need to speak to him or do you say, Lewis, just get on with it? Um, well, of course, I'm, uh, I'm always worried. And we, ha we, have, we had a laugh last year because I couldn't get hold of him and couldn't, couldn't get hold of my chief strategist and uh, one of the race engineers and uh, found out they were racing motorbikes in Jerez and nobody would pick up the phone. Um, and uh, and then they were a bit apolo apologetic. 
Um, but uh, Lewis is not a 18 or 19 year old young man anymore. He's a five-time world champion. He knows exactly what what works for him and what doesn't. Um, all these activities, in in my experience, are not are not a distraction, a negative distraction, but on the other hand, something that he enjoys uh, doing. Um, some things are just a hobby, uh, like sports. Um, others are more more of a passion, uh, like the the fashion business. And every time he's able to decompress from motor racing, uh, he comes back stronger. And um, we we mustn't be judgmental. Some some people go on a meditation seminar to India, others do skydiving, and, and others uh, are out for the ladies. And uh, so just let's accept how everybody is. And he has justified and shown that, that he is one of the best out there. Thank you. Next one, please. Christian Minard, motorsportmagazin.com. Question for Matthias. Um, did you investigate the um, rim failure from the Barcelona testing any further? Because last time uh, you spoke, you weren't quite 100% sure what happened. Yeah, certainly we investigate. Uh, I think we still do not have a full picture or full understanding or certainty on what happened. But we, we put a lot of actions in place, and we are pretty sure that with the actions we put in place, somehow we, we have covered or we are uh, safe uh, for, for the next running. So. Uh, we are still doing some, some checks while running, uh, making sure that we have the full picture of what may have happened. But uh, let me say that we feel safe, and uh, we, feel, we feel that we have addressed the issue. Thank you. Next one. Scott Mitchell from Autosport. Um, a question for all four, really. The affiliation between some of the bigger teams and smaller teams has been in focus the last couple of years. We've seen the likes of, of Haas use the regulations to, to good effect. Uh, Rebel and Toro Rosso are obviously closer aligned uh, this year. With F1 moving towards possible uh, resource restrictions and things like that, is there a danger that it was going to become essential for big teams to have these affiliations with smaller teams? Christian, why don't we start with you? Well, I think mainly the benefit is is for that of the smaller teams. So it, you know, there wouldn't be a has if that modern model wasn't available. And I think, you know, the affordability of Formula One is is extremely expensive so you know Toro Rosso they're using obviously an awful lot of components from from RB14 um, so it's uh, effective for them within the non-listed parts that they're they're permitted to do so they don't have to have the design resource the the R&D infrastructure so therefore the cost for them to go racing is is affected by that and I think that you know there's ultimately a sensible offset between needing to be a full-blown, you know, constructor team and being able to, to acquire those those non-listed parts, so uh, you know, personally, we don't have a have an issue with it, and actually feel that for the smaller teams, it's it's been demonstrated that it's it, it's cost-effective and and works. Thank you, Christian. Matthew. Fully aligned with with Christian. I think that. Uh, the yes, model has shown how good it is uh, for for such a team, uh, and I think at the end it's it's a good a good a good thing for F1. So as well, looking ahead, I think it's uh, if there are any concerns, I think it's up to us to to understand what are the concerns and make sure that we are mitigating or avoiding them. Uh, but I think that the model in itself is is the right model. Thank you, Toto. Nothing to add to what what the two said. 
Cyril. Well, obviously, in a bit of a different uh, position here. I've mentioned that on a number of, of occasions. Frankly, uh, I mean, we could be spending hours to discuss about that, that topic, but it's already a challenge for a team like us to compete against that top three teams uh, who have uh, something like 30 to 30 percent resources more than we have. But if now they, they are capable of combining their resources with uh, uh, other teams or getting the, the, the benefit of synergies you know, within the scope of a budget cap, that's a problem. That's a problem for us. That's a problem for uh, at least two other teams in, in the field, and I don't want to talk for, for them. But that could also be a, a problem for a new entrant willing to enter in Formula One and, uh, and uh, willing to be competitive. So uh, that's a serious topic because it may be that we are now saying that, okay, we have top three, three top teams and that will be it. And uh, anyone joining will have to accept that they will not be in a position to be, to be competitive. So I'm, I'm not here to, you know, to complain or moan. We, we know the regulation, but obviously we are extremely careful about what's going to happen in 2021. For now, we are not convinced about the safeguards or the measures, the containment measures that have been put forward, uh, uh, despite the fact that you can trade some parts uh, in the context of budget cap. But we will continue to work with, uh, with governing bodies to, to hopefully get to a, a more satisfying outcome. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's go on to the next question, please. Ben Hunt from The Sun, just a, a just to follow up actually on the question about Lewis skydiving, so not, not for Toto but for the other team bosses, just for clarity really, do you have um, clauses in your driver's contracts which prevent them from doing extreme sports? Cyril, let's start with you this time. <laughs> <laughs> just being through that uh, very recently. Uh, well, we, there are different types of, of contracts. It's mainly, I guess, uh, an insurance and, an, and a financial topic uh, because uh, uh, there is a way that you're managing the relationship with your drivers and there is a what-if scenario in case something, something bad occurs. So without uh, disclosing any, any confidential arrangement, I think as, as far as we're concerned, uh, it's a bit like, like Toto. We have two mature drivers who, who know what uh, they should be doing and should not be doing. So it's pretty much their call to, to decide, but obviously the financial consequences can be, uh, can be on their side if, uh, if uh, they commit something that cause that they are not in a position to honor their obligation anymore. So I, I would say that the generic, maybe for younger drivers, you would want to have more, uh, more control on what he does. That's what I've seen in, in previous life. But yeah, that's the situation. Thank you. Toto, we've had your thoughts. So, Mattia. Yeah, you know that um, contracts are written are in place just for discussions. So I think what's more important is to have the right relationship with your drivers, making sure that they understand they are sensible, but these guys are professionals, so uh, there is nothing that really you need to tell them. They understand pretty well what's, what's the danger, what's the risk, and they are behaving well. Thank you. And Christine? Well, you know, we're Red Bull at the end of the day, and, uh, you know, no risk, no fun. So. Um, uh, we don't actively encourage our drivers to go and take a lot of risks, but, uh, you know, they've got to live their lives and, um, uh, you know, have some fun along the way. So um, it's great to see that our drivers take that, that, that seriously. Uh, we sent them surfing the other day. Uh, and Max Verstappen actually demonstrated, obviously, restraint, where he was nervous to get on a surfboard for fear of being eaten by a shark. Um, despite nobody being eaten by a shark on that beach since 1963 or something. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, obviously, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's an important thing that, that they, they take care of themselves, but it's, it's good for them to enjoy and experience other activities. Thank you, Christian. Next question. Uh, Richard Bailey from motorsportmate.com. Uh, today, around the world, we are seeing millions of school students 
walking out and staging a protest against government inaction to tackle the threat of climate change. Formula One sits at the pinnacle being able to demonstrate through its technical advances the positive impact that this can have in terms of fuel burn and energy regeneration, yet the message doesn't seem to be cutting through as effectively as it could. What more can the sport's key players do to drive this message to the next generation? Christine, let's start with you this time. Well, I think actually the efficiency of these engines are, are so understated. What the, the fuel economy that these engines are achieving is, is mind-boggling. Um, and uh, so actually, you know, what Formula One is managing to do uh, in terms of furthering this technology is, is truly impressive. And I think it's a message we need to get across more. I mean, we all, we've all come here on aeroplanes, or most of us from across the world, and been burning fuel at 38,000 feet, which is obviously a far bigger carbon footprint than, than anything that's going on, uh, you know, in Melbourne this weekend. But I think in terms of the messaging that, that Formula One is achieving, I think it, it should be uh, actually, you know, praise the technology that the manufacturers have, have brought in through these engines and the economy that's now being achieved is, is, is quite phenomenal. Thank you. Mattia, your thoughts? I think really not much to add. It's uh, we need to communicate it better. Um, I think what is good is when you see that such technology will be transferred into the, into the automotive and, and certainly our, uh, let me say, turbo compound MGH technology at the moment is of interest of the entire automotive. So I think it's again showing how F1 is on the edge of the techno technology and in this case pushing really the green message ahead. So it's then it's down to us really to, to explain it and making sure it's happening. Thank you. Toto? I think there's more the, the macro picture and then the micro picture for us. Uh, my teenage children are on the road, on the street today, walking out of school. And I find it uh, really strong that this young generation um, uh, wants to actively take care of what the future is. And there is this overwhelming problem, problems burning fuel in the airplanes. So I've read most recently the 15 largest container ships burn us or have as much sulfur emissions as 760 million cars. And the plastic that ends up in the seas is a phenomenon that we can even see in, in Europe every summer. And I think these things need to be to be tackled. And when we look into our microcosmos, is is like Christian and uh, Matthias said, those engines um, have all the energy recovered recovery that you can find in the most modern road cars. We have uh, battery technology. We have uh, energy recovery um, through various systems, and they, they have become more and more efficient. And uh, they are very much at the forefront of technology that eventually ends up in road cars and each of us has the duty be it in our little small world of not using plastic bottles anymore um, uh, or, or, or looking after our own environment and in the same way as the guys being involved in Formula One making sure that the right message is transported into the world that these engines are the most efficient and most the most green engine that have ever existed. Thank you Toto and Cyril. Well, I guess it would be up for the new generation to demonstrate whether or not it's still relevant to, to race uh, in cars and go around in circles around the world. But at all level, I think it's important that Formula One remains at, uh, at the edge of what technology has to offer. I mean, those, those engines are just fantastic, as uh, Christian and Mathieu were, were saying. Uh, average efficiency of, uh, of an internal combustion engine is in the region of 30% uh, to 35%. We are above 50% in Formula One. That's massive. If uh, this type of efficiency was affordable for all mass market products, that would be a massive contribution to CO2 emission. And uh, um, So that's something we need to, to keep at the edge of. In future, we are talking about e-fuel, synthesis fuel, fuel that would be not composed of fossil energy. 
uh, this type of thing could be game changer. We need to make sure that Formula One remains a, a demonstrator for game changers. Thank you, Cyril. Right, next question, please. Louis Decker, NOS, for all of you. Uh, do you agree that 12 teams is a necessity for Formula One? Or do you say the recent past proves that, that it might be a bad plan? Cyril, we'll start your side this time. I think it's what's important is the number of teams that are competitive and that can really directly uh, contribute to the show and can pretend that you can be expecting to, uh, to win that what you want. But if uh, there is a business model that uh, is sustainable for tw 12 competitive teams, I, I think that that should be what's been looked at. Thank you. Toto? I think it's important that the starting grid looks complete and that for the live spectators that you see lots of cars going around the track. But I think we're in a decent place right now for Formula One and the value of the teams. It's more important to keep those franchises limited uh, to attract the best brands to enter or participate in existing teams. Um, I think that is the most important going forward. Thank you. Matthew? Not much to add. I think uh, what they said is, is good enough. Okay, and Christian, anything from you? Yeah, I always go quality over quantity. Um, I think we've got 10 teams that are in pretty decent health at the moment um, compared to previous years. And I think as, as we've seen when the grid is expanded, you know, none of those teams that came in a few years ago are still here today. And, you know, Formula One, the cost of entry is so high. Um, it's, it's virtually impossible unless you're you know, an OEM or, or you know, multi-multi-billionaire, and sometimes not even that's enough. So I think that, you know, we've got a good balance at the moment. I would prefer that we look after what we've got than, uh, and have good quality and, and, a, and a closer grid than, than just inviting more entries for the, for the sake of filling the grid shot and, you know, being more cast to lap. Thank you. Right, next one. Roger Byron from Beyond the Racing Line. Um, have any of you seen the Netflix series Drive to Survive yet? Um, and if so, what are your thoughts on it? And furthermore, what are your thoughts on a, a closer look for fans on more of the inside of the workings of Formula One? Well, who has seen the Netflix film? Christian. Christian, have you seen it? <laughs> I, I, I see, I'm really looking forward to season two. I think there may be a fight. Um, between? between, well, you know, maybe between Cyril and Toto this, this season. But um, no, I think look, the Netflix thing, it's, it, it was an interesting project. I think it shows a glimpse behind the scenes of, of Formula One. I think it's had huge interest from what I understand because it's not just about obviously what's going on on track. So it shows glimpses of, you know, behind the scenes action. Uh, and I think it's reaching a new market, which is important. I think particularly in the U.S. as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think look, it's a, a, a different, um, different side of, of Formula One, but uh, uh, you know, certainly interesting. Thank you. Who else, Cyril? I, I think the bottom line is that it's it's a good thing for Formula One. Um, a number of people have, have talked to me about uh, Formula One for the first time and never talked about Formula One, so it's definitely reaching a, a different type of uh, of consumers or fan group, which which is good. Um, did I like everything that I saw in it? Uh, no. Um, so I think it's important to have some form of disclaimer that. Uh, it's it's a bit uh, although it's uh, unscripted uh, it's a bit of fiction also um, so uh, uh, it's important also given uh, you know what's at stake in terms of brand reputation uh, that we don't confuse completely what's between information and, and entertainment 
Thank you. Anything to add, Toto, Mattia? I we obviously didn't participate for for some reasons. I watched uh, three episodes uh, on the plane. I, I, I think I missed the most important one, the fourth, which is I thought that Cyril and Christian were actually friends, but then. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, there's some people that never watched Formula One that gave good feedback. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of fiction. People say that Günther Steiner is a decent guy. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he benefited from the series. And uh, I think. I think, what it, I think what it demonstrated is that Formula One has a huge Tourette's problem. You know, yeah. the, amount, <laughs> the amount of blue language in that, uh, in that series, particularly, I mean, Günther, I mean, he, every other word. Yeah. He's. He's scary. No, he's <laughs> scary. Yeah, so I think it's a it's a good promotion for Formula One. It's well done. Um, it's it's obviously very, very um, um, intrusive in a in a certain way, and um, uh, but promotion is good. Okay, Matthias. Not seen it yet. Will do. But at least today, I understand why these two guys are on the extremity of the table. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm looking forward. Well, it's a long okay. flight back to Europe, Matteo. You can watch it then, the whole series. Next question, please. Uh, Mike Dudson. Uh, I'm British, which I mention because uh, my country has resolved to liberate itself from the European Union. Some of you have already commented on the difficulties that this process is going to uh, create for you. I wonder if things have got better or worse since then, and if you could mention some of the things which are going to present the greatest difficulties after March the 29th. Mike, is that a question to everybody? To everybody. Christian, we'll start with you this time. Well, trying to follow what on earth is going on in British politics at the moment is, is rather difficult for all of us, and it's, it's slightly embarrassing you know, from the outside looking in at the way that politicians are, are, are acting, um, you know, within this whole process. I mean, the country obviously voted to leave and uh, there seems to be too much self-agenda uh, um, that's, uh, uh, that's being, you know, tabled at the moment. So there's, there's almost a vote every day. Nobody's quite sure what the votes are for. We don't know whether we're delaying, we don't know whether we're staying, we don't know whether we're going. So if somebody could explain to me what actually Brexit did mean, um, that would be quite helpful because, you know, at the moment there's an awful lot of confusion over it. So for us, the reality is it's business as normal. We'll wait and see what and if and when Brexit does happen and when it happens then we'll deal with it. But of course you try and put as many what-if scenarios in place as you can to protect, obviously, the operation of your business. Thank you. Mattia? Pretty happy to know Maranello is in Italy. <laughs> and uh, obviously, I can see that these guys are pretty worried, uh, concerned. But I think that, obviously, Brexit is, is a concern not only for F1. And I think that we should look at the bigger picture rather than only that F F1. But uh, I may understand they're, they're, they're worried at the moment. Thank you. Toto? For, for some time, I found it really tragic. But the, the tragic has somehow changed to real good entertainment. Mm. It's a new Netflix. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's better than the Netflix thing, actually. You, you, every evening I watch the, the BBC.com and the, what they show in, from the House of Commons. And um, you're not quite sure whether it's a Monty Python thing or, oh. or <laughs> whether it's really happening. Um, I would get in trouble there. I shouldn't talk about politics. <laughs> um, but for us, we have 26 nations in our company, and it is a matter. 
um, uh, we are living from the just-in-time principle of getting goods in and, and goods and people out. And if this, this were to be disrupted, that would be a problem, but I don't think that can happen. Formula One is the Silicon Valley of, of, of the UK, but there is many larger industry, the automotive industry, that would be massively impacted if there would be the so-called no deal, whatever. I don't know what no, no deal would actually mean. Um, but um, I, I think that at a certain stage, common sense needs to prevail. I, I would hope so. Thank you, Toto. And Cyril? Well, I have nothing to add, really. Uh, indeed, for we, we, we looked at the options. We, we tried to make plans. Uh, apparently, it's at least a pushback. So 29th of March, I understand, is not the deadline any, anymore. What really matters is, uh, in particular, people, because we recruited massively, lots of nationalities. Also, we want to, to make sure that those people can, can stay where they are and that we can continue to invest in them. Thank you, Cyril. Thank you, gentlemen. That's all we've got time for now. Good luck this weekend, and a full transcript of this press conference will be available shortly at FIA.com. And a quick reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a press conference coming up at 2.45 with Jean Todd, Chase Carey, and Ross Braun. That will take place in the press conference room.